0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 101. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I love you, and I thank you so much for joining me on episode 101 and beyond. Today's episode is sponsored by PrepDish.com, which is all about shopping once, prepping once, and enjoying healthy, stress-free meals all week. At the end of this episode, I'll be speaking with Jessica March, an avid fan of PrepDish, about why she loves the service so much and how it's changed her family's life. And now on to today's guest. Today, guys, we are speaking with the one and only Lewis House. You can find him on lewishowes.com. You can find him on his podcast on iTunes, The School of Greatness. And he is a new author with his book, The School of Greatness, coming out on October 27th. In this episode, we're gonna be speaking about that book and about his journey, but before we get into it, I've realized that this episode is going into the nitty-gritty details about the transformation he has gone through personally and emotionally to get to the place he's at now, but we kind of gloss over where he is now, so I figured it helps to have the 10,000-foot perspective on his career and his journey so that you guys have a context for all of the journey you're about to hear. Lewis started as a professional football player after college. He played very briefly, but an injury left him recovering on his sister's couch for a year and a half without a future in football in sight. After finally coming to terms with that totally different future than the one that he imagined, he stumbled into the world of LinkedIn and webinars. After mastering those two skills and the way that he mastered football, he went on to build a seven-figure online business. In addition, he's also training to hopefully become a part of the U.S. handball team for the Olympics. As I mentioned, he still does have that online business, though it's not focused on LinkedIn per se. He's really all about helping entrepreneurs go full-time with their businesses. He also has the School of Greatness podcast, and he's got that new book out. In the episode, we're going to go deeply into the personal journey that he has gone through to get to the place he's at now, because just hearing his credentials alone makes you assume a lot of things about the personal mindsets that he's had, and this episode is a very fascinating look at what's really gone on to get him to where he is today. Let's go to the show. Lewis, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you, Jess. Appreciate it.
0: So let's start with your background and tell us how you got to where you are.
1: Oh man, I got to where I am because I was very lonely and wanted to prove people wrong. So, from an early age, I didn't have any friends and I got made fun of a lot by kids in school. I was in a special needs class, I was dyslexic. It was really challenging for me to remember things, to comprehend things that I would read in school. So, my original growing up was driven out of anger and proving people wrong based as opposed to love and inspiration based. Now I had lots of love, but I think I just wanted to prove people wrong so that I would be seen and acknowledged for who I was because I never felt seen or acknowledged.
2: You've
0: shared this before, you wanted to prove them wrong. Where was the wanting to prove them wrong coming from?
1: I think it was coming from like a place of anger and frustration that I wasn't getting what I wanted.
0: And what did you want back then?
1: Frickin' who knows? I think, uh, you know, I just wanted like my siblings to want to hang out with me. I wanted my parents' attention. I wanted them to be present with me. And my dad was gone pretty much all day until like seven o'clock at night working because he had four kids that he was trying to feed. And my mom was off working his business to try to take care of all of us and make money so that we could have a better lifestyle they were just very busy. And I was the youngest. So, my brother's 11 when I was born. So, when I was a young kid and my sisters were older, I didn't really have anything in common with my siblings except for being like family. But they didn't want to hang out with me. And then just being like a stupid kid in school, I didn't have friends. And then my parents were gone off all the time. So, for me, I just felt alone. I constantly felt alone. I constantly felt like what's the point of being alive? Because I didn't understand why I was around when I was so alone
0: you felt like you wanted to prove them wrong in terms of showing them you're someone to hang out with and that you're smart?
1: Yeah, I think it was like, well, I just don't feel like being alone and these kids are making fun of me. So I want to prove them wrong. I remember, you know, in third or fourth grade, I was picked last on a dodgeball team between our class. So our class had recess and our teacher, he picked two of the popular kids to pick as captains, right? So one at a time picking for the, the dodgeball teams. And after all the guys were picked Then they picked all the girls on the class. And then they didn't even pick me. It was just like, by default, I was on the other person's team. And I remember just being like so hurt by the way I was picked on. You know, I was healthy. I had a family. I grew up in America. So in a lot of ways, I had the greatest life in the world compared to people who didn't have that experience. But for me, I was feeling a lot of emotional trauma. Like I was feeling a lot of emotional trauma from not feeling accepted and not feeling kind of like I belonged. And so when I was picked last a lot and just made fun of a lot for not being smart, you know, being in the special needs class, it was just a challenge. And I wanted to prove people wrong that I wasn't dumb, that I did have something of value to give to them and to the world. So I started just putting all my energy into sports because I was alone by myself a lot. I started like just playing basketball alone and running and working out and um Started to realize, like, whoa, I have a gift here. Like, I was playing with the high school kids, keeping up with them, and beating them when I was twelve and thirteen. And I
0: was, you're probably just as tall as them. <laughs> yeah, I was six.
1: I was six three when I was twelve years old. So I didn't fit in with my classmates because I was like this tall, ugly, goofy-looking kid, and I just stood out in every way. And so that was a challenge because I didn't feel like I could ever connect with anyone and no one understood me. And I'm sure lots of kids feel that way, like they're not understood and this and that and are picked on. But I built up the story big in my mind and lived with a lot of like aggression, defensiveness, frustration to prove people wrong because of it.
0: So you kind of go through a swan type transformation (laughs) (laughs) from where you were in middle school to where you ended up after college. Can you walk us through that phase?
1: You know, when I was 13, I was going to the summer camp, like every summer for two weeks. My brother just got out of prison. He went to prison for four and a half years, and he just got out when I was like 12 and a half. And I started kind of just stealing a lot for about a year and a half. I don't know if most people know this about me, but every time I went to a store, I had to steal something. And it originally started off of like just stealing like a candy bar or two, to stealing packs of cigarettes that I wouldn't even smoke, to stealing jewelry and clothing and other things. And it became like a game for me. Because I felt like I just needed to do something in my life, like and have some type of challenge or something, but it, it became very addictive for me to steal.
0: and what age was this?
1: I was probably like eleven to twelve and a half.
0: The perception I know you have mentioned that your community once your brother went to prison kind of shunned the family and didn't let your friends hang out with you in the house. Do you think that that identity somehow influenced this, or is this completely unrelated? You think you would have done it anyways.
1: I probably would have done it anyways, based on how I was feeling about myself and kind of where I was at in my life. I still did not really feel like I belonged and and things like that. So I don't really know why I did it, to be honest. I think it was just like a thrill. I wanted to experience some type of excitement in my life because I wasn't really able to do that with good friends. And so I got to the point where I had this self-awareness. I don't know how I got this, but I had this self-awareness when I was 12, 13. I was just like, I don't feel good doing this. This doesn't feel good. It's not fulfilling me. The kids that I was like stealing with were just losers. And I was just like, this is not what I want to be doing in my life. Like I started to have some self-awareness around that, that age. Right after seventh grade, the week after class ended, I went to summer camp and I met these kids that were going to this private boarding school in St. Louis, Missouri, where the summer camp was near, it was in Missouri. And at the end of the camp, I was like, gosh, these kids are just so full of joy and passion and they're loving and they're accepting of me. They're just like quality human beings. And I came back to Delaware right off the flight. My parents picked me up at the Columbus airport. And within five minutes, I said, I want to go to this school where a bunch of these kids were going in St. Louis, Missouri. I was just like, I want to make a shift. I want to change. I want to grow. And I don't want to be at this, in this home where my parents were arguing a lot and fighting. They weren't happy with their marriage. You know, My sisters were off to college now. I was pretty much alone. And the home and I was just like, I don't want to be here around these kids stealing all the time. And I I could recognize that that's the path I was going down. So I begged them to send me away to this private boarding school. And after two months, they finally agreed because they thought it was crazy. But that was probably one of the best decisions of my life to go to this boarding school in St. Louis. I lived in a boys dorm, there was a girls dorm on my campus as well, so it was co-ed, and man, the growth and the lessons I learned about myself were so priceless during those five years of eighth grade through high school. I just learned how to be a quality human being during that time, and they they really helped me grow up.
0: Was there a book or a teacher that influenced that positive direction?
1: My first house parent, Charles Harlow, I mean, it was pretty strict place, so every morning when it was like 6.30 a.m., wake up, you clean your room. And then this was a Christian school that I went to. And so we had like Bible lesson in the morning. We had like reading of the Bible and the lesson in the morning for, I can't remember, 30 to 60 minutes as a group. All the middle school boys, students, which uh, dorm students, probably like 10 or 12 of us. So we would go into the living room of our dorm. You know, we would all read kind of like the lesson out loud, the Bible and whatever was like the lesson for that week. And I remember so vividly, this is a probably a 50 year old man with, children who are grown adults that he would practice reading to us and it was like he was a third grader reading like he couldn't read and I don't think I've ever actually shared this but he he couldn't read and his wife it was so incredible to see the love that his wife and the giving of his wife to stand there next to him and, and sit next to him while he was reading you know the bible where he was stumbling over his words. He constantly had to check in with her and ask her what, what each word was. And to see him do that with us and not be embarrassed, this is inspiring because I couldn't read out loud either. Whenever a teacher would ask me to read or any of us to read, I would put my head down and like cover my face so they wouldn't call on me because I couldn't read. So for me to see a grown man, to be able to have the confidence to do that with us middle school kids and not feel embarrassed gave me a lot of hope knowing that, hey, maybe I can read one day and be confident in my presentation because I couldn't read at that point. So that was really inspiring. And then I had some incredible coaches who were, man, without these coaches, I probably literally would not be the guy I am today because I had a lot of anger and aggression still in high school in proving people wrong. I had this chip on my shoulder. I was so defensive In sports, when I ever felt attacked, whenever anyone tried to trash talk me or hit me in the wrong way, or I felt like they weren't being fair, I would just get so defensive and this like rage would come out and where I would do very stupid things. And my JV high school basketball coach saw the potential in me and saw that I had this great athleticism and this talent, but he saw that I had this defensive anger as well. And so he made it his mission to help me rise above it by guarding me every single day. He would play with us five on five every day, and he only guarded me, and I had to guard him so that he could teach me how to overcome those things. I don't know if a coach is supposed to do this, but he was like elbowing me constantly. He would cheap shot me in the face. He would say whatever he wanted to say to me, and I had to like just eat it and suck it up and learn to overcome it. I wasn't perfect ever. You know, in college, I would still flare up and be triggered by certain things, but it really helped me evolve. So the teachers and the coaches really supported my growth.
0: When it sounds like you got from this boarding school, what you wanted more than anything back in Ohio was connection. Yes. You wanted to connect with your friends, your family it sounded like there was friends helping you steal or stealing with you. So you had some version of connection, however low level it was there. Exactly. But now you're getting the higher like quality level of connection that you really sought all along. So yeah, it makes sense in why you thrived. All right, I'll quickly try to summarize some of your other path here, because I have some things I want to go into. So you got into football, highly trained, you transferred a few different schools for football, Mm -hmm. trying to be All-American at Ohio State. Though so you never got there, you yep. did get to All-American through the decathlon first, then football.
1: Wow. I'm and impressed. And also,
0: uh, trust me, I've been studying. So that's one part of your path. And then you got injured. But another thread from your story is the Olympic dreams you have and how you're pursuing it with handball and becoming a millionaire business owner through webinars. One of the things that resonates with me about you and your story is how you set out these huge goals to be an All-American in Ohio State in football and then to go to the NFL, and then to go to the Olympics, and to be a millionaire business owner. But you end up doing it not through the way you initially set out to do it. You did not do at Ohio State. I'm sure whatever your Olympic dreams were younger was not necessarily with handball.
1: No, it's not.
0: And I don't even think you knew what decathlon was for a long time. And webinars (laughs) was probably the last place on earth you thought you'd be making millions of dollars.
1: That's true.
0: One of the things I find interesting about you is you set these crazy goals that most people never achieve. But even though you're not getting them in the ways that you expected to, you're always kind of dodging. I think (laughs) you're kind of scrappy. Very. You don't let your shiny goal not get attained because the most obvious path is blocked. You find a way to dodge around it and get there instead. Is that something that makes up who you are? Am I right in thinking about that?
1: Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, (laughs) if we all could just have a vision of exactly what we want and achieve it every single time, life would be much different. But there's always some type of adversity or something that gets in the way or setbacks. It's our job to move through those and evolve and grow and twist and twirl to still getting what we want. It may not be the same thing we originally thought of. And I think when we are attached to results that's when we hurt ourselves when we're so attached to it looking a specific way that's when it'll never happen and we'll just be left with an expectation hangover like my friend Christine Hassler says and we'll be upset for a long time and grumpy and mad or resentful or whatever I think I learned to say okay this isn't going to happen my original thought isn't going to happen what's next how can I make it happen a different way and how can I still go after my dreams and it ends up being you know sometimes better than the way I originally imagined I try to look at it as like everything is happening for me for a reason. There's nothing I can do to change what has happened or the past or whatever these experiences, these injuries, these challenges. There's nothing I can do to change what has happened. But how can I make the most of these moments and still live my dreams and live my truth? And that's what I try to do.
0: That doesn't seem from your story that you automatically grew up with this. You, you know, sat on your sister's couch and slept there for a year and a half. So this wasn't necessarily your like first go to mindset. <laughs> Is it through seeing how everything worked out that you are now able to adopt that going forward? Or when did that switch happen for you?
1: You know, it's interesting because when I was probably five, six, seven years old, I would watch football and basketball on the couch with my dad and just watch sports on the weekend or whatever with him. And he always told me that anything is possible. And as kids, when our parents tell us something, we believe it's true. We just grow up thinking whatever our parents tell us at the early ages until we start to think differently for ourselves or until other influences come into our life. But I always believed that anything was possible for me. And that may seem like, you know, a lot of people probably say that, but I truly believe, like, even if you said, like, you were going to lose an arm, I still believe that, like, your arm could grow back. I am to the mindset, like, anything is possible. Maybe it could grow back. You know, maybe this could happen. Maybe we could figure something, a solution, whatever it is. That's why I, I like to interview people because I'm always like to be in the question of what is possible and witness it for myself. So at the early age, my dad would instill this belief of all things are possible, and to always chase my dreams no matter what. He always told me that. And I think because he, at 19, had my brother and my parents got married because my mom was pregnant with him and he had to go work three jobs right away and wasn't able to really chase his dream. So I think he instilled that in me. He was like, always go for your dream because they're worth it. And he also instilled something in me that I don't think a lot of kids had at an early age. I have one photo of me with a birthday cake. I think I was like five, literally five or six years old. And I have like the biggest smile on my face. I never had a birthday after that.
0: <laughs> Wait, really?
1: Yeah, I never had a birthday party after that. You know, now i have like meet up with my friends or whatever on the beach or something for my birthday, but I never had like a party. My dad wouldn't allow me to celebrate my birthday. And I never freaking got and understood why. He would tell me throughout the years. He'd say, "Son, your age is an illusion. Time, there is no beginning and end, and I'd never want you to be held back by your age or by time in you achieving your dreams." And I didn't understand it. I was like, "But can I just have a freaking birthday cake?" You know?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, "How does this have to do with you know the Barney birthday cake?"
1: Exactly. So, in a lot of ways. It didn't make sense. But in other ways, man, without that instilled in me, I wouldn't have been able to build a business as fast as I did after having no degree.
0: Yeah. How did you not have a degree? You went to like five years of football, didn't you?
1: I left uh, school to go to like the NFL draft or whatever, five credits shy. So I just had five credits left. I ended up going back and finishing that a couple of years later, just because I wanted to complete it for myself. You know, at the time I was like trying to build a business and I didn't have any experience in business. I'd never made money in my life or worked really a job besides like a couple of months here and there as side jobs. I was only an athlete. I was like, who will pay me for anything? I have no clue what people are going to pay me for and how to run a business. I had zero clue and was terrified. But I remember thinking to myself at 24 and I started charging like, you know, $300 an hour for these LinkedIn consulting sessions and charging thousands for speeches and workshops. It just never was held back that I'm too young or I'm too inexperienced or, you know, I need five years of experience of this before I can start making money. I just never had that mindset. And I think it goes back to when my dad instilled that in me at an early age that anything is possible at any time and age is an illusion. I was very grateful for those principles early on.
0: So in the book you share, I've accomplished a lot of goals since my days in Ohio. I've achieved success, earned a lot of money, but for years it was driven by anger, ego, and resentment, and it resulted in a lot of ups and downs. It was because deep down I didn't believe in myself and wasn't sure if others believed in me either. Here's my question. You're motivated by the anger, the ego, etc. Do you think you would be where you are if you hadn't had that fiery motivation or could you have still have gotten there? And what would that path have looked like if you didn't use that to motivate you?
1: I think I could still be, I don't know, maybe I couldn't be where I'm at right now. But the thing is, it got me to where I am and it did a lot of good for me. It left me feeling empty and lonely and frustrated and confused still because the fuel was the anger and the resentment and proving people wrong so that I could look good and be right and get the acknowledgement and achieving those things that I wanted to do. And once I got to the place where I was at you know, a few years ago and started to make the shift and come from love and inspiration and come from a strong mission and coming from service as opposed to just proving people wrong, I realized that that fuel is way more powerful and way more sustainable than the anger fuel, the resentment fuel. So could I have gotten to where I am now if I would have known that earlier? Maybe. But man, proving people wrong... The energy, the fire and the passion I got from that was like so strong and heavy and deep and emotional. It brought a lot of downs, but man, it drove me for two decades to achieve. And I think learning what it takes, like that hustler mentality through that was so priceless for me to understand that sacrificing and diving for the loose balls of life every single day is really what's going to get you there. Now, doing it from a place of anger and frustration is not serving you or other people, but that's the key to getting there. And what if you could do it from a place of love and service and vision? Then it can be that much more stronger and sustainable. So I'm grateful for knowing both sides.
0: If people are looking to make that switch for themselves, let's say that they resonate with the fiery drama side of things, (laughs) what would you tell them to do to make that switch?
1: Well, one, I would just say it's not sustainable and you're going to burn out at some point or you're going to die young or you're going to cause a lot of stress within yourself and it's not sustainable for the world. You know, if you're thinking of like how you want to make an impact in the world, that way of being, that energy does not serve anyone else. And I'm not saying you're going to be perfect and always from this place of love and inspiration and grace. I constantly have breakdowns and moments where I'm triggered still. I think it's just being aware when I'm triggered is what's powerful so I can breathe and get through it much quicker to come back to my place of inspiration and love and my mission. I would say it's definitely possible. You just got to be present to it and realize that it's not serving you or the world. And you don't want to be remembered as someone that didn't serve the world.
0: So let's say they're there. They bought in. What do they do to actually make that shift? Because I can imagine it feels empty and bewildering to go, where do I go to make that positive shift?
1: You got to do some self-realization and some looking at what was the reason why you're driven by anger or frustration or the drama or whatever it is. You really got to take a look. And if you can do that on your own, awesome. I learned it through like coaches and therapists and you know workshops and things like that. That's how I started to discover it and be aware of it. I think you really need to be aware of it and whatever that works for you, you got to figure that out. If you can do it on your own, cool. I don't know who can, but maybe being in nature and figuring out, okay, these are all the things that hold me back and here's what I need to do to move forward. It typically takes someone else to support that shift. Once you realize what this is, you've got to let go of all those things. So, for me, I had a lot of traumas and experiences that I held on to, which made me want to prove people wrong, which made me resentful, which made me angry. So, I needed to come at peace with all those things. Everything and everyone, including myself, I needed to become at peace with. And most of us, and I'm speaking to the ladies in here, I know a lot of ladies hold on to shame and guilt and will never forgive themselves for the things they've done or thought or said or who they let down or who they weren't there for and they felt guilty for. So you've got to learn to forgive yourself and everyone around you in order to come from this place of love and service moving forward with your life, in my opinion. That's the only way you can do it. If you're not forgiving someone, including yourself, it's going to be really challenging.
0: Lately, I've been speaking and having conversations with previous Lively Show guests who are very successful in their careers. And we've had this interesting conversation happening here and there amongst different people. And I'm curious on your thoughts on this. They're finding that the things that they thought would be their highs in their lives don't actually have that impact that they expected. Are you finding that's true for you?
1: I think it's the journey towards the vision the daily small interactions towards the long vision fulfills us. It's not, oh, I just became a New York Times bestseller or an All-American athlete or whatever it is. It's the process and the people that support me and the people that I inspire along the way and the things I learn about myself and the connections and the small wins, which are so important to us. And so I think it's being clear on the vision we want to have in the world and and being true to that, but taking every day with gratitude on the small things.
0: What's on your gratitude list most days?
1: I mean, waking up. Like for me, the first thing I say is thank you for another opportunity to live my vision, to be alive, to experience life, that I'm healthy. I'm so thankful every single morning. I'm very grateful for my, my team that supports my vision and is on board with my vision because I can't achieve greatness alone and it takes a team of people to really support anything to move forward in a powerful, positive way. I'm so blessed for my health. I mean, I've got one friend who was born without arms and legs and I'm just like, gosh, I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. And I have other friends who aren't healthy and are going through challenges and I'm just constantly reminded to not take for granted my health and that whenever I feel like I'm tired or exhausted or in pain, I just like am grateful that I can run and experience pain in my legs because I have legs and I push it a little harder so that I can feel that pain every single day because I never want to not be able to feel it. So for me, I'm very grateful for my health and then I'm very grateful for just my friends and my family. You know, I feel like we create our own experiences in life and we create our environment and we can choose who we want to spend time with and on our environment. I'm just grateful and blessed that my friends are so loving and accepting of who I am. The good things about me and the things that maybe they don't like about me, I just feel like I'm accepted by them. And I'm also so blessed and grateful that I get to interview some of the most inspiring people in the world and that they open up to me. I'm like, it doesn't even feel like real life that... I get to do this. If you would have asked me, you know, a kid from Ohio that could barely read and write and was in the special needs classes with no friends when I was a kid, like, if this was possible, it would just be like, I couldn't even see it then. Every day, I'm so grateful as a kid from a small town Ohio that I get to live this life.
0: One of the things you speak about is that for those who learn how to use adversity to their advantage and possess the power to turn that adversity into greatness, When you first experience it, it feels like failure when you have that adversity and that you must be bad at it. But in reality, failure is simply feedback. How can we make that shift from this is a failure to this is feedback?
1: You just got to be aware that the only way you can be successful is through what people call failure. And I call feedback because it's just data. It's just information telling you what's working and what's not working. So it's just a matter of looking at it differently. And when you see that, okay, I didn't get the client I wanted today, I didn't make enough money today to pay my rent, it's not that you're a failure. It's just, okay, that's information. That's data that's telling me that what I'm doing. The actions I'm taking, the way I'm being in the world is not working. So what do I need to do to shift it so that I get the results I want? And when we just think of it that way, we're much easier on ourselves and we can say, okay, this is a process. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be right now until I learn something new, grow in a different way, change something I need to change to get to that next step, to that next level. And just constantly evaluating, am I achieving what I want to achieve? If not, what's the next step I need to take? Anytime we want to get to the next level or something is different or more advanced, if you have blocks one day and you're trying to do the next level, which is no blocks, there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a place of, it's not going to be the exact same, so you got to learn how to Move in that space differently, and that's going to take time. You're going to fall. You're going to get back up. you're going to have to balance yourself. You're going to have to adjust your core differently that you're not used to. So it's just a learning process. And through that learning process, you learn what works and what doesn't work until you get it right.
0: How do you know when to let things flow naturally versus force them through hustle?
1: Well, I think if you're forcing it, you're not hustling with flow. So I think it's a matter of to, to hustle with flow, and what that means is. Imagine you're in a basketball game since you play basketball and you see that someone deflects the ball and it's about to go out of bounds. Are you going to overthink it and analyze and say, okay, I'm going to force this and work hard to make this? Or is this your natural reaction to dive for the ball to save it so it comes back in bounds to your team? For me, it's a natural action to go dive for the ball and make the play. And that's just part of my daily way of being is to go dive for the loose ball to serve my team to the best and to serve my mission of winning the game. So I don't analyze it. I just say I'm willing to dive for the loose balls in life at any time as a natural instinct, just like I would in a basketball game. It's an instinct. It's not like, let me analyze this for a moment. It's like, this is who I am. This is my way of being. And that's why we win by two points because our whole team shows up with this level of intention to go for the loose balls in life. I think when you're like try to overthink and analyze, okay, what am I going to do today that's going to be scrappy or that's going to be hard work or that's going to be this and that, it's not going to flow as much and it will be hard as opposed to, oh, there's an event late tonight where all these influencers are going. My natural instinct is… I'm there because I want to connect with them and add value to them. And maybe that means I'm going to be out late and not getting my normal sleep patterns in. But that's what it's going to take to get to the next level. So I'm going to do it. And I never know where that's going to come back in my life. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's three years down the road. How that will affect me. But I know by showing up like this on a consistent basis, it'll be powerful.
0: Do you think that works for perfectionists?
1: I think perfectionists actually have the biggest challenges because... Being a perfectionist doesn't work for you in general, in my mind, because perfectionists typically get held back by this perfection prison that they're in. Their mind is always playing tricks and games on them. They have to look perfect, which means they're afraid of looking bad. They're afraid of being judged constantly. And so that's why they are putting this perfectionism out and they take longer to launch products online. They overanalyze every little aspect of the logo and the design and this and that. And that holds them back from their greatness. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be striving to put something great out there with everything you do and you shouldn't be striving to be great, but perfect is not being great. Greatness is giving the best that you can possibly give. And maybe that looks close to perfect, but it's not having the mentality of perfection because that's just not going to happen.
0: Kimberly asked, how do you get yourself out of a funk? Because she's been listening to your show and she thought you were in a funk recently from something you said, and she wanted to know how you got out of it.
1: Well, I'm a very emotional being. I'm very sensitive to my emotions and the emotions of others, especially people that I really care about. That is like my number one kryptonite. If I had something that was like held me back, when I love someone deeply and they are hurt or upset or not okay, and it has to do with me, man, it's a challenge for me. So how I get out of it now, which used to take a lot longer before, I have coaches that help me and support me in a lot of things in my family. And so I reach out for support constantly for people. And I put myself on the line constantly to tell people where I'm at, what I'm experiencing. I think a lot of people aren't willing to open up and express that they're in a funk or that they're stuck or that they're hurt by something. They're not willing to open up because they don't want to be seen that way. I have coaches and mentors and friends that I trust that I talk to on a weekly basis about everything, whatever I'm up to, to make sure that I'm constantly in the flow. Because every day there's going to be ups and downs, every month, every year, there's going to be challenges and adversity. And I just want to make sure that I'm always in check with where I'm at. So for me, it's it's having that support system. And it's checking with myself and saying, does this serve me or not?
0: It's not surprising, actually, with all of your sports background, you've always had coaches helping you to mentally and physically prepare. Yes. So for you to go there seems like a natural fit
1: the greatest athletes in the world have coaches, even when they're at the top of their game, they hire better coaches. it's not like they stop. It's not like they're like, okay, I've got to figure it out. I don't need anyone to coach me. They have the coaches get on them even more because there's a small little things they can do to get to the next level and stay at the top. Why go through life thinking we can do it on our own? It's just not smart, in my opinion. When there's so much things that could creep in, doubt, frustration, anger, it's just hard to have the willpower to be on all the time and be able to move through life's emotions without support. So for me, it's important.
0: So how does the School of Greatness apply to women specifically?
1: What I want women to know is that women, at the end of the day, control the world. (laughs) And and what women do, they have no, maybe they do know this and maybe this is why they do things they do, but they have no clue how powerful their energy is specifically with men in the world. What I want women to know who are listening is that it's your duty in my mind to become the best, most graceful, loving human being you can be to yourself and to the world and to increase your self-worth so much every single day So you're not always looking for outside things to confirm your worth. Because when you show up in a beautiful, loving, graceful, confident, yet vulnerable way, man, you can literally shift the world on its back and just allow it to be like a puppy dog laughing. When you come from a place of scarcity and fear and needing something and drama you're literally hurting the world. You are hurting the world because you're hurting the men around you because you put men into a position of how can I make sure that my friend, my girlfriend, my wife is okay? How can I make sure she gets what she needs? How can I shift this for her? Because for men, that's all we're trying to do is to make sure that our women are happy, right? To make sure they're loved, that they're happy, that they're taken care of, that they're safe. That's like our instincts. So when you're in a crazy mode constantly, you're taking men away from their vision to make the world a better place as well and to just focus on you. And so you're being very selfish. And I don't know if this is resonating with anyone listening or if this even makes sense, but I would say focus on serving yourself and loving yourself to the best so that men in the world don't have to focus just on making sure you're okay and happy. And as weird as that may sound... I literally think that's going to change the world when women come from that place of love as often as they can.
0: I love that. What doubts or internal resistance are you currently facing in your life right now?
1: Shoot. Uh, is my book going to be a failure? Did I cover everything I wanted to say? Are people going to judge it for it not being this like perfect prose of, I don't know, Malcolm Gladwell-style book? Are people going to judge me for the things I talk about and open up in?
0: how are you handling them?
1: I constantly remind myself that, you know, I'm learning and I'm growing constantly. And I've recently really discovered the power of being real and raw over the last few years. The key to success in life, in my mind, is relationships and how we handle our relationships. And the key to successful relationships is vulnerability, in my mind. I can meet a stranger And within the first few minutes, I could be closer to that stranger than they are with some of their friends and family by us opening up in a vulnerable way, each of us together and sharing something and just connecting in a real vulnerable way. And by creating that vulnerable space, you build this trust in this relationship with that person that is deeper than any other relationship you have that doesn't have that vulnerability. So for me, it's just being myself, which means being real honest, open as often as possible and not trying to put the I'm perfect image out there. I mean, obviously, there's like a balance, right? Because there's this PR, branding, aesthetics.
0: That's what I'm thinking too in the back of my head. Yeah. I
1: mean, listen, I, you know, the cover of my book is a nice looking photo where I'm like got a haircut and a nice shirt on like, and it's designed well. I get it. I think it's important to have a great presence with your brand and portray the lifestyle and the image that you want to portray to your best. You don't want to just show up sloppy in the world, but it's also with your communication and your content. I think that's where you can really be real, raw, and honest when it makes sense, when it matters, not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but to connect with people, to make a point, to inspire, and to um, be accepting.
0: So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey?
1: Starting out on a journey to build a business, to... To be great. To be great what I would say if you're starting on the journey and maybe you're stuck in your life and you're trying to get unstuck and get to the next level and be great in your life, start with acknowledgement and acknowledging yourself for where you currently are and what you have done in your life. Because most people put themselves down more than they'll ever acknowledge themselves. And I'm not talking, say like I'm the greatest human being in the world. I'm great, great, great. Like look at me, have this ego, but just say, you know what? Wow. I have done a lot of work in my life. And even though I'm not where I want to be, I'm a good person and look at all these things I have done. And I did get a college degree and I've learned a lot of great skills. So first come from a place of acknowledgement of yourself because at the end of the day, that's who you get to sleep with. <laughs> you're, you're only with yourself, your mind, your thoughts, your body. It's you. The mindset part of it is you know one of the most important components. It's One of the principles of my book is developing that champion's mindset. When I started to fall in love with myself, again, not from an egotistical standpoint, like I'm the greatest thing in the world, but when I started to say I love myself is when I started to go do things on my own and be okay going out to dinner by myself and be okay going to a movie by myself, because at first I was afraid to do those things because I didn't love myself fully. When I started to say I'm going to go on a date with myself, as weird as that sounds, I'm going to go on a date with myself I started to do that all the time and now I love going out by myself and just connecting alone with my thoughts and experiencing the world how it is. It's like I don't need the acceptance of others when I accept myself. So, acknowledgement and acceptance of who I am is powerful. Then I would say, I mean, I don't want to pitch my book, but I would say the eight principles in my book are going to give you the map and the inspiration and the exercises to be great.
0: Well, I just have to say how well you tied up the interview with a bow by saying, I go on dates with myself, I love and accept myself, unconditional of what other people think of me because where you started as that scared little five-year-old was a very different place than that. It's a complete opposite, in fact.
1: Yeah, very different. I mean, I hated being alone as a kid and all I wanted was to be around other people. And listen, I love people. I mean, I want it from time to time, but it's not like I need it all the time. And when I learned to be happy with who I am, That's when uh, things started to really shift.
0: Lewis, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks, Jess. I appreciate you.
0: And there you have it. Thank you, Lewis, so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to thank Lewis for coming on the show, or if you'd like to send him a message, please do so over on Instagram or Twitter. His handle is at Louis Howes, H-O-W-E-S. And if you'd like to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess, C as in candy corn, lively. And as always, you can find show notes for this episode at JessLively.com slash Lewis As I mentioned at the start of this episode, Lewis's new book, The School of Greatness, is available for pre-order right now and will be launching officially on October 27th. So go grab a copy if this episode resonated with you. Before I share who's coming on the show next week, let's talk with Jessica March about PrepDish.com. And just a little heads up on this one. My mic was having tech difficulties, so you'll notice my audio isn't the same as usual.
2: Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Jess, for having me. My name is Jessica March, and I live in New Jersey, and I'm a full-time working mom. And I just had a little baby named Ella Pearl.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful. I love girl. <laughs> Where did the name come from?
2: Uh, she's named after my grandmother and my husband's grandmother. Well, you just hit the grandmother jackpot. I with know. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> she's six months actually on Friday, so we're really excited. She's doing great.
0: Congratulations. Tell us a little bit about PrepDish.com.
2: PrepDish.com honestly changed our life. Um, I got married about two years ago and working full-time... Getting married, planning a wedding, and then also getting pregnant after is a lot to handle. And also being healthy and uh, you know staying focused on exercise and eating right was really really important for my husband and I. And we fell upon prep dish and have been doing it for almost a year. We've really experienced three major things out of it: it's saving us time, saving us money. I'm losing weight after having a baby, and we're happy. And I I really am grateful for getting exposed to it. How does Preptish actually work? Preptish is super easy. So every week we get a meal plan that's either paleo or gluten-free and it's delivered in your inbox. You get a PDF that has a grocery list that's organized in the way your grocery store is organized, which is fantastic. You get a meal plan for the week, Uh, it serves four individuals, and there's a two-hour prep dish instruction, two-page PDF, and then a dish day instruction. So it's basically organized in the way in which people would eat, but what's better for me is I don't have to think about it. Everything's done for me, so all I have to do is put in my order for my groceries and do the prep, and the food's ready to go.
0: Wait, 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 go back. You put in the order for the groceries? How do you do that?
2: Oh, time out. I guess I didn't tell you that. In our town, and actually probably a lot of towns, you can order your food online. So I choose with my grocery store, I just use their app and I put in the order for the meal plan for the week. And I drive to my grocery store and they put my food in the trunk of my car.
0: Oh my goodness. So this is super simple for you. All you have to do is then just make the food.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, it really takes a lot out of me having to plan. I plan for a living full time for my job. So I don't want to have to take that extra time to do planning in my, you know, everyday life. And it really, really helps. So we know what food is going to be on the table and we know it's healthy and we don't have to go out to eat, which is awesome.
0: How many meals does the plan make per week? Is it three meals a day or is it two?
2: Well, for us, actually it ends up being three meals a day. I kind of do a little bit different than I think most people do, but what Prep Dish offers is four dinners. a a giant salad and snacks and desserts. And, you know, you can adjust it to be more or less based on the needs of your family. But what I do is I actually, I cook a little bit more and I use some of the dinners for lunches for the week.
0: So for anyone who is excited to give this a try, PrepDish has a special bonus offer for you today because you're listening to this episode. You can visit PrepDish.com slash LivelyCrockPot to download your free copy of their CrockPot Freezer Meal Guide. Five meals that you can use to prep ahead, freeze, and have ready to go all at once. Again, go to prepdish.com slash livelycrockpot to get that plan to get started with this.
2: And I have to say that Crock-Pot meal was extremely helpful, especially the weeks after we had our baby. So if anyone knows anyone who's going to be having a baby or if, if anyone is having a baby, I would totally get PrepDish as a baby shower gift because it really is awesome to have food ready when you get home <laughs> with a new one, new little one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Okay. So again, that's PrepDish.com slash lively pot Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And now for a sneak peek, next week we're speaking with Jessica Flanagan of LiveTheFancyLife.com. Jessica is going to share her personal journey to redefine her career in a way that suits her family and values for this season of her life. I think that Jessica's story is a wonderful contrast to Lewis's we've just heard today. Both people are very intentional when it comes to their values and designing their lives and careers around what is most important to each of them. But because they have different values, the actions and choices they make as a result are very different. I cannot wait to share Jessica's story with you next week. And until then, may something wonderful happen to you today.